Thank you for downloading a sermon from the Chapel of the Cross. The Chapel of the Cross is a welcoming, growing, and historic Episcopal Church in Madison, Mississippi. I hope you will join us on Sundays for worship at 7.30 a.m., 8.45 a.m., 11 a.m., and 5 p.m., with Sunday school for all ages at 10 a.m. I also invite you to connect with the chapel online at chapelofthecrossms.org. Again, thank you for downloading this sermon. We pray it will enrich your walk with Christ. God bless you, and we look forward to welcoming you and your family to the Chapel of the Cross. Holy and loving God, write a message on our hearts, bless us, direct us, and send us out. Living letters of the word. Amen. Please be seated. Fair warning. I am about to utter the most Episcopal first line to a sermon in the history of people giving sermons. I enjoy wearing bow ties. Perhaps that was not, not the most Episcopal. Hopefully the most Episcopal would be about the love of Jesus, the beauty of worship, about loving our neighbor as ourself, stuff like that. But I digress. But near the top of that list is I enjoy wearing bow ties. I enjoy wearing bow ties for a number of reasons. For one, they're less expensive than long ties. <laughs> Two, when I meet someone new and I am wearing a bow tie, I establish from the beginning that I am a geek. And I strongly believe that that kind of transparency and authenticity is important when interacting with a new friend. Third, when I was courting my beloved wife, I learned that she thought a boy wearing a bow tie was cute. And suddenly my wardrobe was filled with bow ties. And fourth, there is something about tying a bow tie that is very human. Tying a traditional long tie is a fairly binary endeavor. Either you tie it correctly or you don't. And tying a long tie is fairly easy once you figure it out. But in the end, it is either tied properly or not. There isn't much wiggle room. Tying a bow tie is more difficult. However, once you learn the basic order of operations, the bow tie is much more forgiving. A strategic tug here, a well-executed wiggle there, and the bow emerges. And one never wants one's bow tie to be perfect. My dear friend and fraternity brother Ryan once advised me to never tie your bow tie too well. You want others to know that you tied it yourself. Now, you are probably wondering why I am inflicting you and yours with this, with this delightful meditation on neckwear. The last two pages have been rather absurd, I do admit. But I would like to consider this morning, like a bow tie, what is forgiving and what is not, what is perfect and what is perfectly imperfect. We live in a world that is most definitely imperfect, but it expects perfection. So much of this world is broken, 
Just try driving in Jackson. But we expect perfection from others, and most definitely from ourselves. And unless we achieve perfection, whatever we are doing is a complete waste of time. That cycle of expectation and disappointment can be quite corrosive. And I'm not suggesting this morning that we do not do our very best. Humanity has achieved so much when we reach for the stars. And we should expect our or our or other's best when engaged in important endeavors. But day to day, how can we endure the challenges, travails, and tragedies of this life while walking the tightrope between perfection and imperfection? Perhaps today's gospel can help. From the third chapter of Luke, as the people were filled with expectation, John said, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you, I am well pleased. In the first century, John was the leader of a movement within Judaism. John's movement was concerned with baptism, a ritual washing of oneself with water as a symbol of a much deeper washing, a cleansing of the soul. Michael White, a professor, of, a professor at the University of Texas, characterizes John as a critic of society, of worldliness, who seems to be calling for a change in religious life. We have to think of John the Baptist primarily as one who was calling for a return to an intense piety, to follow the way of the Lord, to make oneself pure, to be right with God. And that rightness is symbolized by a good wash. But I believe a key phrase from the gospel reveals what Jesus was doing while he was being baptized. When Jesus also had been baptized and was praying and the heaven was opened. Did you catch that? Jesus was baptized and was praying. Jesus didn't enter that water thinking he was perfect, putting on a show for all the people on the riverside, merely going through the motions, attempting to draw attention to himself. Instead, he was praying, praying to his Father in heaven. I'd love to know what he was praying. Was he giving thanks? Was he asking for help? Was he, like in the Garden of Gethsemane, asking God, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me? Was Jesus scared? Regardless of how Jesus felt, he was not alone in those waters of baptism. Not only was his cousin John alongside him, but God was with him too. Jesus knew his life, his ministry was going to be quite a journey. But he also knew that he would never be alone. I'm reminded of the baptismal covenant on page 304 of your Book of Common Prayer. Don't look now. I believe those pages contain the best 
distillation of what we understand it means to be a Christian in the Episcopal tradition. After each question, such as, will you continue in the apostles' teaching and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in the prayers, and will you strive for justice and peace among all people and respect the dignity of every human being, the response is, I will with God's help. Not I will, period, but I will with God's help. Our God is a very real and present God, and when we need help, God is there. The help may be hard to find. We may need to discern the form of God's help. God's help might arrive at an unlikely time or in an unlikely form. But God's help is real. Listen to the words of the prophet Isaiah we heard this morning, who is speaking as much to us as he was to the Jews in exile almost 2,700 years ago. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you will not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God. You are precious in my sight. And I love you. As we walk out into the world, today and every day, give yourself the gift of not being perfect. And when we fall on our faces, I fall on my face a lot. Pick yourself up, and instead of pronouncing yourself a failure, perhaps tug your tie a little bit, and a solution will present itself. And as you walk, remember that you never walk alone. As Erasmus once wrote, bidden or not bidden, God is present. God is present. And when we, like Jesus, pray to him, we receive the help we need. Amen.